Well, good morning, Grace Life family. We're doing something a little different today. Uh, Laura and I are at home. Uh, we are self-quarantining, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't bring you the Word of God. We're going to try to do it a little different feel. I'm sitting down, I'm in my house, and I'm excited about the fact that I actually, what's really cool is I get to wear Crocs while I'm preaching. My wife loves that. And I'm wearing a baseball cap or a hockey cap because of the Lightning are probably going to win the Stanley Cup. Um, and we're excited about that. But I'm going to be preaching from home today, and I hope you're blessed um, and where you are. And um, thanks for tuning in. Um, we're going to continue with our series on the Gospel of Mark. This is week number 48. Um, I've titled this one, Headed for Jerusalem. So I'm going to show you guys a couple of GIFs of some really cute dog, uh, dog videos, okay? So I'm, I want to look at these. So you see this one. This is a little girl. This little Jack Russell Terrier is letting her take the uh, um, his heart rate with a stethoscope, just sitting there nice and patient. Same dog, same little girl. And there she is. She's checking his ears. He's just being so patient and loving, isn't he? Just letting her do her medical thing is so cute. And then we have another one. Look at this one down here. She's giving him a shot <laughs> in his paw. She's doing a shot in the paw, which I think is adorable. Uh, he just sits there taking it. And here she, she finishes the syringe. She pushes it down. And the cute little dog, he just sits there taking it all. I just <clears throat> how patient he is, right? I love that. I love how patient he is. Those are cute pictures. Um, so why am I showing you those? <clears throat> um, I think that uh, patiently tolerating foolishness motivated by love and family instinct produces heartwarming images like that, right? And I, as I was preparing this sermon this week, I was thinking about how that dog is a really good picture of how it must be with Jesus and us most of the time. Um, you know, because I was thinking about these kinds of patient um, videos of these dogs. They're always so adorable. They make you go, aw. Um, and we love the patience that they display when they're with their little kids and their family. Well, today's passage actually seems to display that kind of patience uh, by Jesus for his disciples. So let's just read the passage and we'll go forward with it. I'm going <clears> to <throat> put the screen on. Let's read the passage. <clears throat> And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. This is right after that. And says to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. So as we always do at Grace Life, whether I'm self-quarantining or with you guys uh, uh, physically, we always look at three applications of scripture. First is the historical application. What about man? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? I've entitled this section, The Beginning of the end. So I want you to see something. He, Jesus is now, he's not in Perea anymore. They're leaving after three months in this region, and he's starting on a direct path to Jerusalem. The place they are coming th from, through and around Jericho, 
is about 3,500 feet below Jerusalem as far as its elevation. So understand this, it is an all uphill climb, an uphill hike. And Jesus is really kind of setting the pace here. Uh, he's walking with purpose. Uh, he's ahead of everyone else. They're trying to keep up. It is not a leisurely stroll. Jesus is really doing whatever he can to get people or he's doing whatever he's doing whatever he needs to do to get to where Jerusalem is so that he can do what he was called to do. Think of all the things that have been thrown in his path. All the things that have tried to keep him from his journey. We think about the temptation from Satan in the wilderness. We think about the death threats. We think about the political persecution. We think about the frustrating disciples who don't seem to quite get it time after time, but all through it, he has got one goal in mind. He wants to get to Jerusalem and become the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So that's the story that I want you to see first. It's going up to Jerusalem. The second thing I want you to see is that uh, the followers were all frightened. And Jesus knows what his father's business is. He knows that he is actually walking into the lion's den in Jerusalem. The disciples clearly don't want to go to Jerusalem. And neither are all the rest of the people that are following him. So it's not just the disciples, it's anyone else who might be following him. And Mark says they were all amazed. Remember last week we heard him say that they were amazed. Mark says they were all amazed, just like last week, when Jesus was talking about rich people not being able to go to heaven. <clears throat> In fact, what we find interesting is it is exactly the same word, thumbeo, to astonish, to terrify, frighten. A good description would be scared. But he doesn't stop there. Mark uses another word to really explain the intensity of the situation. It's a second word, he says, when they were frightened. Phobio. We get phobia from that, the English word phobia. It means to frighten by something, to be alarmed. So they are in a situation where they're extremely concerned about Jesus going up to Jerusalem. And why would they be so frightened? Well, the same as we would. It's all an unknown. They have seen the hostility toward Jesus continue to rise. It's getting worse and worse. It's really ramping up. Remember what happened to the disciples that didn't go up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? They were down and they were being accosted by all the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus had to come to their rescue. This is happening more and more. And if they go to Jerusalem, it will be this type of persecution on steroids. See, it's not a good idea to go to Jerusalem right now, Jesus. You are just looking for trouble. And with the coming feast season, think about this. Everyone that has come after Jesus, all the scribes, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, everyone is going to be in Jerusalem at this time. So all his enemies will be in one place and Jesus is going to be there. Everybody will be watching, looking for a chance to take Jesus down. And what's happening here is the disciples are being faced with some fading dreams. They're fading dreams. See, the disciples thought they understood the Old Testament. They had been raised Jewish, but they still couldn't see exactly what Jesus is supposed to be doing. Looking back, I mean, we can personally see it pretty clearly now, but for them, they hate Rome so much. They hate the idea of not being able to be their own country so much their theology is blinded. They've been taught one way of thinking for so long, 
And it's exceedingly difficult for them to comprehend that Jesus has to die. Why do you have to die? Why would you go to Jerusalem to give your life? Jewish independence and ambition, all those things are keeping them, especially their desire to reestablish the throne of David, it drives their interpretation of Old Testament scripture. It certainly puts in jeopardy their idea and their dream of reestablishing a new kingdom with Jesus as its head. And if Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he dies, it is going to be a terrible messianic strategy. Why is he doing this? Why is he walking into this deadly trap? It's just not the right time. It's too risky. So they're afraid, not just of their own well-being, but of their dreams of Jesus being their concept of Messiah falling apart. Clinging to hope that Jesus will liberate Israel from Gentile tyranny, it makes them fearful of Jerusalem, at least for now. So that's the history part of this passage. So now let's look at the, the, the spiritual. I want to call this section Sovereign Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see is that he gives them a very detailed warning. So um, Jesus knows this, right? He knows that the disciples are afraid. He knows they have fear. And so what he does is the scripture says he takes them aside and begins to explain to them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Look, I'm not going to set up a kingdom. And yes, it's going to be bad. I'm going to be arrested by my spiritual enemies, the Pharisees and the scribes, the priests. There's reason to be afraid because it's going to be brutal at first. I'll be convicted of crimes I didn't commit. I will be condemned to die. And then they will turn me over to the Gentiles who will mock me, beat me, spit on me. And then I will be executed as an innocent man. But after three days, I will rise again. I mean, that is a victorious ending, right? But why is it so hard for the disciples to embrace this? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to see. I know we would have a hard time embracing it. And ironically enough, and see if you can grasp this, right? I think what Jesus is doing by telling about not just his death and his arrest, but also his resurrection, in a way he's trying to encourage them. I think he's saying, look, you have reason to fear, but it's going to end great. Their fear indicates, though, that they know bad stuff is really coming. Jesus promises a glorious resurrection after it's finished. And they can surely see all this bad stuff is brewing. They're not stupid men. They're very intelligent. But the, resurrect, the, the resurrection, for some reason, they just can't embrace that glory yet. But two things really stick out in my mind as I was preparing my message this week about what Jesus does here besides this detailed warning. The first thing I want you to see is he gives an irresistible voice. So I put a verse up here, um, John 10, 27. Let me just read it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there's a pressing question you might ask. If the disciples are so afraid and they've heard him say this several times now that he's going to die, their fear is legitimate. They hope it's a misunderstanding, but they have knots in their stomach. I mean, the rest are also following him. They're full of anxiety. As they say in Star Wars, they have a bad feeling about this. Yet they still follow. 
I mean, they could leave if they wanted to. They aren't being forced or manipulated. And with all the uncertainty and the anxiety tied to following Jesus, why would they just continue to do this if they think it's going to be so dangerous? Isn't that a good question? And listen, it's not an easy journey. Physically speaking, like I said earlier, it's all uphill to Jerusalem. And they're frightened followers. They are straining to keep up with Jesus because he's walking with a purpose. He's walking, the scripture says, ahead of them. And they're following relentlessly, even in fear and uncertainty. Because Jesus, and here's why I think, he has sovereignly captivated their hearts. They can't imagine not following him, even now even though it's incredibly difficult and incredibly frightening. I believe that that is the result of the sheer force of who Jesus was and his calling on them. That's what I think. And so now I want to look at the second thing I want to talk about in this spiritual section is I want to talk about the future knowledge that Jesus displays. Uh, I told you what he said. He, he predicted his death and his, his arrest and his conviction and all those things. But understand, this is the third time now that Jesus has actually told them what's going to happen. He did it in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He did it in Mark 9, 31. And now he's done it here in Mark 10, 32. He knows the where, he knows the when, and he knows the how all this is going to play out. See, Jesus always knew the plan. Years before the disciples, the priests, the Pharisees, or Herod, and his details at this point are the most precise they have been. He knows exactly what his future is. He's in charge of it because he's God. That's important to understand. And his plan was always from the very beginning, always the cross and the resurrection. Just as the Old Testament had revealed repeatedly, he is saying it a third time because he knows it's hard for them to get it. It's the same thing that we would struggle with if we were there, we wouldn't get it either. But he's outlining also, he's making sure they understand, I have to do this because this is the cost for redemption, the cost of sin. And this is one of the most crucial theological concepts, and that is this. Jesus is God, and God is sovereign, and he only is the one who could pay the price for sin. He knew Jesus did the Old Testament prophecies, and he fully understood how he was the fulfillment of them, from Psalms to Isaiah to Zechariah, to Ezekiel, to Malachi, passages any good Jew would know, he knows, and he knows the full understanding of them. And why is it so hard to understand for them? It all just seems so silly. Why do you have to die? Why can't you just snap your fingers, Jesus, and have it all done? See, this is a human issue. This is how we are. We don't understand. From Christ's perspective, he is saying, look, your situation is so bad, the reason you don't understand is you don't realize how sinful you are. And that's why I have a verse here I want to put up there, um, or I'm, I'm not going to put it, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the cross, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. See, this is the problem that we have with the gospel. The gospel can seem really silly, especially the part about Jesus dying. But Jesus, what he's doing here is he's calling them, he's drawing them, despite their continued stubbornness. And it's amazing, isn't it? Yet at the same time, I find it amazingly comforting. 
So now I'm going to go to the personal section for this week. I've entitled the personal section Sovereign Patience, and you can see the Sunday Sermon Preview that I put up on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I think the most amazing thing about God's sovereign grace is His patience toward the recipients. Let that sink in just a little bit. I think the most amazing thing about God's sovereign grace is His patience toward the recipients. I'm going to put another verse up here for you to read. So I included verse 35 in the story, and it may seem like it's not connected to the story, right? Because they're walking to Jerusalem, they're afraid, and Jesus says, I'm going to go, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be convicted, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. But then he adds, verse 35, uh, Mark does, that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do this for us, whatever we ask of you. Now, the rest of this passage will be in the next sermon. But I wanted you to see, doesn't this kind of seem out of place? I included verse 35 because they're back to asking who's going to be first in the kingdom. We're going to see that in the next passage. They say, whatever happens, can you make sure we're sitting at your right hand? I think if I'd have been Jesus, right, and I just told them that I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to be convicted, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again in three days. And the first thing that my disciples asked would be James and John saying, can we sit with you on your right hand? We want to be first in the kingdom. If I'd have been Jesus, I think I probably would have run out of patience with James and John far before this scene, but certainly this would probably put me over the edge. And the funny thing is that they're not oblivious. You know what they were doing here, actually? And we'll get into this more next week. They were actually looking for comfort. But they were looking in the wrong place. They're saying, Jesus, look, if we're going to follow you into this mess in Jerusalem, can you at least make sure when it's over, we're at your right hand? I mean, for me personally, I probably, all of us probably, we would have found a way to upgrade our disciples by now, right? But his sovereignty is the root of his patience for these men. You see that? Because he knows what's happening. He knows how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. He also knows how they are going to respond to it. And so because he's sovereign, he can have patience. Uh, I'm going to put a verse up here, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let me just read that for you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So I don't know about you, but I find tremendous comfort in watching how Jesus deals with his disciples. I mean, Jesus patiently, caringly, persistently teaches them, draws them, forgives them. And why? Because he loves them. He doesn't love them because they first loved him. He loves them because he loves them. And we aren't any different from James or John and the disciples or the rest of the people following. We also struggle to understand the price that Jesus had to pay for us. And yes, we know that we are sinners. I think we all can admit that. But we really don't understand just how bad it is. We don't understand the true cost of our redemption. We don't really know how bad we truly are. 
And Jesus is saying to them, and frankly to us, guys, I must die. I must conquer sin and the grave so that you can live. And I think this is a great illustration of how our salvation, our connection to Jesus, isn't tied to our free will. God's sovereign love manifested itself in a patient, sovereign Savior who does whatever it takes to call and connect not only his disciples to him no matter what, but us as well forever. I mean, I don't know, aren't you thankful that he does that for us? For you? I mean, I am because otherwise I would find a way if I was on that road to Jerusalem, walking up 3,500 feet from Jericho to Jerusalem, afraid of what might happen in that city when we get there and all of Jesus' enemies are there. If I was going through that and if it was left up to me, I probably wouldn't follow. You probably wouldn't either. And I got news for you. The disciples probably wouldn't have followed. Except for one reason. They have a sovereign, patient Jesus. This is the comfort of God's sovereignty. A God who irresistibly calls us, calls our hearts, calls our minds. And get this, just like he did with the disciples as they're afraid and, and it's an uphill battle and they don't want to go and, and it's hard to keep up with him, right? Because Jesus has a purpose and the purpose doesn't fit our own worldly plans and all those things, yet they keep following him and they don't get the credit. Jesus gets the credit because he keeps them following him. We have a sovereign, patient Jesus who is calling us, saving us keeping us even while we don't understand all of what he is doing for us. <clears throat> Sovereign Jesus does not let our stubbornness, our fear, or our frailty keep us from following him. He will not allow those things, our, our fear, our frailty, to derail not only his plans for himself, but his plans for us. I don't know about you, but I personally find that very comforting today. And that's what I have for you guys this week from my home. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, it was a little different feeling for me. Uh, I'm glad my wife did not come in through and, and, and heckle me while I'm preaching. That would have been kind of funny maybe, and some of you guys might have liked to see that. But we love you. Uh, let me pray for you guys, and then we'll sign off. Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much for our Grace Life family. I pray that you would continue to protect them. I pray, God, that you would help them understand just how much sovereign grace and patience you have for us. Even when we don't understand it all, you're going to keep us following you. You're going to keep us connected to you. Lord, give us more and more understanding of just how much we need your grace. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. I hope to